It's time for Lost Cast, the Lost Decade Games Podcast. Welcome to Lost Cast, episode 203. I'm Matt Hackett. I'm Jeff Blair. Thanks a lot for your support of Indie Game Sim. I think everyone who bought it was a Lost Cast listener. <laughs> Every single person. Yep. Um, I've been getting lots of cool games sent to me via Twitter, and I've got this little uh, redirect page, indiegamesim.com slash Matt. I should put a link to that in the show notes. Yeah, uh, I, wa- I watched a video where you played uh, submitted levels. Yeah, and I've got a bunch more. I actually made another video, and then just, you know, stupid hardware garbage happened, and it's gone forever, so that put that off for a bit. But there's, what, like 30 games in my queue right now, and I think a good video might be somewhere around 10. Depending, because, uh, you know, the length of the games that you, you play, like the people send you, it could be just a little bite-sized one-screen thing, or it could be, a you know, quite a involved game, so yeah, somewhere I around there. I saw you fail to complete one. I did. It was a really buggy one, and I gave up. <laughs> I, I think was... <laughs> the, the really buggy ones, it almost makes it more like a solving a puzzle. How do I yeah. get through these, these garbage physics? <laughs> It's kind of a fun puzzle, to be honest. <laughs> I kind of like it, but yes. it is very difficult. I did see another one you played where it was like uh, intentionally glitched, like with the collision, right? Where someone put a map of like all solid tiles mostly. Yeah, the only way to get through it was to clip through the walls, which is kind of interesting. Uh, I think, though, that levels like that might get broken in a future update because um, entities like, I call that the interval rock, it just appears and disappears over time. Yeah, I need to probably make it so that if the block, when it would reappear, is clipping with something, then it won't reappear that cycle mm. because of all the clipping madness. <laughs> it's just not a... Uh, it's just very game-breaking, you know, and I can't think of a better solution than for it to just have it, you know, skip that interval. What if it telefragged whatever was oh, on Oh, it just kills spot? you. Yes. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I like that because mm. then, like you know, all kinds of shenanigans, right? You can like lure enemies into it. You could get killed by it yourself. Oh, shenanigans! Yeah, shenanigans. I've got a real life shenanigans story. You want to hear it? <laughs> Another one? Is this the same one from several weeks ago? <laughs> it's always the same story. It's Lost Cast. <laughs> no, this should be a new one, but it it does involve a pet kind of. Okay, I've told pet stories before, but this is my pet Roomba. Aw, you have a pet Roomba? He's not. He's not fuzzy, but he's cute. So Roomba sits on a little, if you're not familiar with Roomba, it looks like a, a really thick dinner plate that <laughs> roams around your you know, house and vacuums. Right. Pretty cool. It's for lazy people like me who don't want to actually vacuum. So it's got this little base uh, that, <clears throat> I don't know, it just, it looks like a smaller plate and uh, it's got a little stand on it and then Roomba will kind of zoom up to it and then the metal you know, thingies attach and it can charge. So it'll zoom around your house, vacuums, and when it's done, it goes back to its base and it lands there, right? Nice. So we put it uh, like underneath our entryway table, kind of in the center there. And then Andrea came home one night and she was like, why'd you move the Roomba? Did you not like it underneath the table? I looked over and the Roomba's on the other side of the entryway table, right? Just like parked in its little home on its little base. (laughs) And I was like, oh, that's weird. I thought you did that. I don't really care about where stuff is or like, in the, like the interior decorating nearly as much as she does, you know, so I don't really pay that much attention. So I just kind of saw it and I was like, oh, I guess she moved it, whatever. I don't care. And then she looked at it more carefully and she was like, wait, you didn't move this because and I didn't move it because neither one of us would have taken the cord and moved it like around the table, right? It was in front of the table. We would have moved it like behind the table like humans do when they're organizing stuff, right? So I didn't do it. She didn't do it. The Roomba did it. The Roomba it had like, you know, 
gone on its little voyage around the apartment. And then when it was trying to land back on its base, it must have just shoved it around until eventually it went on the other side of the table. And there it just landed all normal looking hmm. against the wall, but in a different spot. Yeah, well, it was probably like pushing up against it, trying to get into the bed, right? And so it was right. like pushed it into a nice little corner. And when it stopped moving, it got inside and went to sleep. Yes. So that unexpected element was there and it felt, you know, kind of cool to figure out what happened. Yeah. And I love that kind of shenanigans. That's the kind of stuff I want to bake into games, you know? Yeah. So I guess uh, in this scenario, it would be something along the lines of like an entity having a home base it returns to, but that home base not being static, right? Like it could, it's mobile. You can move it around. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, interesting. Because yeah. we have like, you know, the uh, like sensor spikes. Not sensor right. spikes, but like the corner spikes that we have in the Wizard's Lizard and, you know, right. obviously Zelda. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> those things, like they have a home base, but it's static, right? It's like wherever I spawned. Yeah. That would be really interesting to have a mobile sort of like spike trap unit. That sounds kind of interesting. Like yeah, the, the I like base kind of like slowly moves around the room and whenever it sees you, it kind of zooms out. There's this monster in A Link to the Past. Actually, you know what I should do? I should link this, not just in the show notes. Oh, crap. I already don't have any show notes. There was something I mentioned that was going to put in there. I Wait. already don't have any show notes. I already don't have any. Uh, IGS.com slash Matt. Oh, remind me to talk about more game dev treasure. Um, so there's a monster in A Link to the Past that does that where it's got its body and it's got its kind of like heart. And the two will disconnect, and then one will travel to the other, right? And I think you can only hit it in a certain state when, say, like the heart is outside of its body or something. Hmm. But it creates that scenario where you've got, you know, two entities that want to connect. And so, you know, that can create some scenarios that are very surprising as well. Yeah. Um, the article I'll link to is just a list of all the creatures. Uh, it's on Gama Sutra, of course, because all the good stuff's on Gama Sutra. So uh, that should be Game Dev Treasure at some point, too, because that article is thorough and fantastic. But yeah, Sounds check amazing. out that monster. Yeah, good stuff. So I want to bake more stuff like that into uh, into IGS. But uh, I think today we were just going to kind of talk about game designs and stuff, right? And stuff, yeah. And stuff. Like we've got questions on the horizon uh, and there's more stuff we should talk about. But uh, I kind of just want to have a fun cast. A fun cast as opposed and, to our normal and, yeah. work cast. No. <laughs> it was more fun than uh, talking about cool game ideas or game concepts. Yes. Yeah, it's my that's idea true. of a good time. Um, it's been tough because, you know, I've been doing a decent amount of contract work and so the time for the, you know, personal game dev stuff has not uh been as available, but like I still have all those itches and like <laughs> ideas rattling around around in my brain trying to get out. Yeah, you go into spasms once in a while. <laughs> Yeah, you're like, sorry, I had a I had a game dev idea there. It's like a yeah, a chill. <laughs> I had it's like a, a sneeze, but it's a you like you vomit a bunch of like you know a design on graph paper. Yeah, that, I that's what I do. With pictures, right? <laughs> yeah, I had it with pictures, right? <laughs> if it's been a while since I've kind of puked up a new game design, uh, I will sometimes just like you know get inspired for whatever reason, and I'll sit down with a piece of graph paper and just bang one out. And it's like you know it's very tiger hatty, and it's uh, it's making a lot of assumptions and stuff, but it you know, we'll capture the core of the concept, hopefully. Nice. I don't know. It's fun. So where's your head at after spending a bunch of time on IGS, side-scrolling platformer, puzzly simulation game? I was thinking about, like, um, I can't help it, you know, especially after seeing, you know, last week we talked about the, uh, put a link to this in the show notes, the Surviving as an Indie 
And it kind of brought home again the thing we talked about a lot with the Spiderweb software stuff of, you know, taking a game engine, remixing it, and producing a new game. And I was looking at, uh, at IGS, and uh, I also compare it to the kind of chart I use for which projects I should work on. One of the biggest problems with IGS is that it really depends on this real-time physics engine, which is not my strong point, you know? Unity. I think that one thing that's really important to me for future projects would be the the simple input. I don't want to have to worry about, you know, gamepad and keyboard and mouse and everything. I know I keep, uh, you know, kind of reiterating that, but I was talking to you about how I was kind of lamenting that with, uh, with IGS and how I was thinking about, you know, a remix version of that same game, except it's all mouse input, right? So you're not making a side-scrolling platformer game where you now are probably going to want a gamepad, or at least you're going <laughs> to want to not use the mouse, right? The keyboard. Right. Uh, but instead, you know, because most of the game is played with the mouse, so why not be making games that you also play with the mouse, which uh, there are plenty of those, right? So many good games you can play just with the mouse. So if you're making games that you also, uh, you know, play with the mouse and you're making them with the mouse, like there's, it's better, you know, harmony there. And I think that would give me less surface area uh, to have to work on. And then I could make a better game. Just a theory. Yeah. Simplify. Well, I think it's a good theory, right? Like, uh, yeah. simplify, and, like forces you to like focus on a single mechanic and really you know expand on it perhaps yeah um i don't know it's tough because uh we were talking about this i don't know how much you want to talk about that angle but like (laughs) i think it's hard because like you know i think it's tempting to say like hey like let's take the indie game sim concept right and then like bring a different game back into it right right but I don't think it's as easy as that, right? Like you have to find something that works well with that style of gameplay too, right? Or else the entire game tends to change. Right. Because like if you went to an RPG model, like that doesn't necessarily lend itself to like these quick mouse-driven, you know, edit cycles and like is it as fun to play and like what does the shenanigans look like and all those things, right? Right. Yeah, I had been thinking about something along the lines of uh, some form of turn-based RPG, which, as you know, that that doesn't... <laughs> so many different uh, interpretations of what you could even think that means, right? And I don't really even know whether it's tactical or, you know, plays like Final Fantasy or something. I'm not really sure. But there's a lot to that, you know, because let's say it's like... um like a Final Fantasy or a Dragon Warrior battle. You know, a lot of times there's a bunch of context there. You've got, you know, your characters have levels, which is important. They have abilities and, and inventory with items. Uh, and that stuff all is what really makes something like an RPG battle, you know, fun and engaging usually. Right. So there's a lot of assumptions there. Um, there's a bunch of other different types of games that I could work on, though, that have like, um, you know, the mouse only input. That wouldn't have to be a role-playing game. I don't know why my head went there. I think just because I love... RPGs. I just, yeah, I love RPGs, and like I just can't help it. I always go back to thinking about um, Shining Force. And, like, you know, we, we made a tactics game, Lava Blade, but, like, we could do better. Yeah. We could, we could do better than that. <laughs> <We could do laughs> I can't help it. Like, this is where my head goes. Yeah. You could do a tower defense. Yeah, I didn't really played much tower defense. It's not, like... It's not one of your things. It's not one of my things. I, I've liked them before. I played a fair amount of field runners. What did you play Tower Defense was? Um, I played one recently that I kind of liked, Kingdom Rush. Hmm. It's sort of like a like flash looking graphics tower defense. <clears throat> it's pretty cool though. I feel like you could definitely get some shenanigans going on with that type of game, right? Because you could have like all different kinds of towers, and the towers could do different things. And you get different kinds of minions. 
and then you can kind of attack it from both angles, right? Like you get to play perhaps like you're placing, you know, you're creating a level and setting up the minion waves and someone has to defend against it or vice versa, right? Right. Hmm. I guess it's like, a, it's a similar concept to, to IGS right now, right? Where it's like, I make a level that's supposed to be hard to complete and then someone has to complete it. It's pretty much what IGS is all about. It is. Yeah, and I think that like my gut reaction on the RPG stuff is that like that is just a harder sell in that model. Yeah, you know, because it's like I guess it at that point it's more like a puzzle game. Like you can't really think about it as an as an RPG. It's more like, you know, here's you know a puzzle turn based puzzle creator, and you can put like, you know, here's a teleporter, and here's a push block, and here's a like a chips challenge almost, right? Yes, like that would work. Ooh, Chips Challenge. I, mean, I love that you and I uh, both played that game because to me it just seems like this kind of weird, obscure, like Windows 95 game. I'm pretty sure it came with a computer that I bought. Yeah. Like, I never actually saw it available for purchase or in a store or anywhere. It was just like, you know, uh, Minesweeper. Just, whoop, here it is. It's on your computer. Yeah, it was just there. You're like, open games. Tetravax. Chips Challenge has Chips always challenge. been here. Yeah, it's solitaire. <laughs> it's been here forever. It was made by the Egyptians. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Thousands of years ago. There were hieroglyphics. Chips challenge. <laughs> written written in Oh, okay, here we go. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna make Chips Challenge, but themed with Egyptian glyphs. There you go. Best game ever. That'd be pretty cool. Like there there was actually a whole bunch of games like in that era, the same era as Chips Challenge that were like Egyptian themed. Oh really? Wow. Like uh there's one, what was that? Like Tut's Tomb or something? Hmm. Oh man. Wait, was... it played the same too? You're moving an avatar around a No, no, no. Matrix? It was like a it was like Just a 2D a platformer, yeah. I see. Yeah. Hmm. It was more yeah I remember like a... you, you were really into the uh, the Egyptian theme for a while. I think you were working on a tactics game, weren't you? I was. Well, I, I like the kind of like the Indiana Jonesy type theme, right? Where it's That's like, you he know, loves Spelunky. It's right. <laughs> like, you know, 1930s or something, 1950s, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, fedoras and whips. Fedora, yeah, fedoras and whips. And like, I kind of like the idea that like, you know, you're entering like you're an archaeologist like you start in like you know the normal world and like you're excavating these egyptian ruins and then like you know later on you start uncovering like you know the actual egyptian gods buried yeah. or whatever oh man you know? and like crazy magic stuff starts to happen and you know you get to the bottom of the pyramid and there's like a gateway to some other world where the gods are coming from i don't know who knows maybe hell yeah, after maybe. you defeat olmec you go straight to hell yes <laughs> I, I think that full circle. I, w- I was thinking something more along the lines of like very traditional uh like Egyptian fantasy more like you know uh, as opposed to like you know Spelunky's sort of like whimsical you know I would call it like a stuff. mixed bag it's it's kind yeah. of a, a, a fantasy free-for-all <laughs> you know it's like hey what do you want you want you want some cartoon aliens you got them you want snow area deep under earth okay sure snow here we go vampires of course there's vampires you yeah. want ghosts we got ghosts like a little bit of everything you know yeah yeah step right up we got something for you it's blunky i was thinking more along the lines of you know like all of the major uh characters are like you know egyptian gods or equivalent Ooh, i like that yeah ra the sun god yeah so like you have to go through and fight you know all the different gods and stuff. It's interesting. It sounds nice from like a uh, design perspective, you know, because you have some storyline kind of built in, right? Hmm. 
yeah. you know, you kind of get like, oh, this guy's like, he's got a crocodile for a face and he's the god of blah and like, you know, whatever. <laughs> Anyone with a crocodile for a face is a bad guy, all right? <laughs> Clearly. Disney and everyone else has established that for us. You know, there, there's a big element to it uh, in that regard where um, the familiarity aspect, right? So like when people come into your game, if you are inventing a brand new visual style or you're not, you know, using a template kind of, right? Like medieval fantasy or, you know, uh, Egyptians or whatever, you're creating something brand new, then you lose all the um, the kind of predetermined knowledge people will bring to it where they're like, okay, look, a goblin, I know a goblin's going to stab me. You know, I get yeah. that, right? Like a troll with a giant hammer, like that's dangerous. I understand a troll is probably bigger and more powerful than a goblin. I get it. But then when you go, you know, farther from that, people might not have as much understanding. Uh, and something with the, you know, like the Egyptian theme, I think you get a lot of that, you know? You see scorpions and snakes, and you see sand, and you see treasure, you know, like you see familiar elements, and uh, you've seen it like in museums and cartoons and movies. And so like, you know, you're on board, you get it. Right. I think it's tough too, because like, I don't feel like I'm the most story world buildy type of person, <laughs> you know, like uh, creating a whole bunch of, unique characters with their own personalities and stuff like that's not really where my head's at a lot of times i could see a world where you make a game and everything is generated procedurally um not 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 the content so much but the um the visuals right like remember uh was it arno i think we actually let me put a link link in the show notes interview with arno this dude he would use basically code and math to draw like planes and bullets because he had like a top-down shooter yeah. And the ships, they looked pretty cool. You know, they they looked kind of stylistic, like a little kind of cartoony sort of, because they were made out of basic like primitive shapes, right? But he never, you know, put pen to paper. He never, you know, opened up a graphics program even. He would just generate stuff uh, kind of ad hoc, you know, programmatically, which I think is really powerful. And I could see a scenario where, like, you know, you just you do that like you just create stuff or like um, maybe even a text-based game, right? Because that way you don't. Because hmm. I can see I can see you making. Uh, like being a world builder, like you, you create stuff when you talk about it, like in your designs and stuff. I just think that it's like, you know, in an ideal world, like when you picture it in your mind for, for some reason, I imagine you picture this like flawless 3d model. It's well lit and sculpted and textured and everything. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, it makes the reality of, of the world creating just seem like a, an oasis unachievable. But you know, if let's say you were making a text game, let's say you were like, screw it. Like I need limitations. So I'm going to make a freaking text game. I think you would have a pretty, um, lush and vibrant world yeah I, well i guess that's true like uh i was thinking more of like the storyline aspect right like characters and and like plot and that kind of thing mm. i think that i'm definitely more interested in like a like very interesting world mechanically i think that's why i've always been drawn to stuff like uh like not exactly like minecraft because i find minecraft and like games like don't starve like i, I really like those games superficially but they feel very grindy to me Hmm. But I, I want that feeling without the grind. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. But like, you know, but you still have to have that sort of like, you can't have everything immediately, right? There's got to be some, I mean, there has to be some kind of grind in that in that kind of a game, right? Um, right. But yeah, like, again, this is a very unbaked idea, but I really do want like a rich environment that the player can explore. And it doesn't have to be crafting really or anything like that, right? Um, right. One idea I was actually having... <clears throat> This might, this might be like all over the map cast here, but <laughs> <laughs> something I really want to work on is a turn-based tactical game like you were talking about with Lava Blade. Like we feel like we can do better. Um, but something that I wanted to do is sort of steal a little bit of the Pokemon 
mechanics. Which ones? Uh, like the collection aspect. Um, Gotta catch them all. Yeah, and like and and having, you know, having these units essentially that were sort of like simple, you know, that they have access to like maybe a few different abilities, right? Maybe I should back up because like when I start <laughs> thinking about tactics games, right, the first thing I start thinking about is like classes and like job trees and stuff like that, right? And my head oh, man. immediately starts going to Final Fantasy Tactics where it's like, Don't okay. go to trees first. Yeah. <laughs> you can start with classes. Don't go to trees yet. Right. But, uh, you know, that, yeah, yeah. that's where my head goes because I'm like, okay, you know, you have to be a level seven paladin and a level 12 archer before you can access <laughs> the monk class. And then the monk has its own like deep set of abilities and like, you know, there's oh, like, man. you know, warriors have rage for a resource and it it builds up as they take damage and like blah, blah, blah. You know, kind of like WoW style resource. For uh, sure. Resources. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, rogues have energy, mages have mana still, but that kind of thing. Make um, all that. Implement all of it. <laughs> yes. Every feature. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, that's, that sounds really overwhelming, right? And it doesn't sound like a whole lot of content, right? And like even trying to prototype out like even one class right it, it's hard to create like a huge depth of ability yeah <clears throat> so uh so then i was thinking i don't know i think you and i were maybe talking about it but um i was thinking you know having having it be more like you know units you know you have a team right but they don't have to be like humanoids with a class like i'm a rogue or i'm a wizard right they could be more like pokemon style creatures right mm-hmm um, and then that kind of gets me more towards like, oh, they have like three abilities and maybe a couple choices or something, right, each. And then you can mix and match. And then it really kind of gets more into that like elemental-based combat that that we had talked about before. We've talked about it on <sighs> several occasions. Um, and one of the I things that, so much. that I liked about this is that it would be like first and, and foremost about that. You know, I think that a lot of times when we've talked about doing like elemental-based stuff, you know, in an RPG type of game, like Soul Thief or something, you know, it's very much like tacked on. It's like, this doesn't really complement the design, but we really like, you know, <laughs> this rock, paper, scissors of elemental resistances. So we're going to try and like shoehorn it in here. Okay. That's the new company slogan. Lost Ticket Games. Quote, this doesn't really complement the design. <laughs> that's, that's just how we, that's how we roll. Yes. Well, I, I think very it's accurate. like, it's so hard sometimes when you're trying to design games and you have these little pet ideas where you're like, like you can almost see how it would be cool. Like, oh, it would be mm-hmm. really cool if like this had this sort of mechanic to it. Yeah. Um, and maybe we're just, you know, not good enough to like merge those things together sometimes, but. Yeah, <laughs> pretty likely. <laughs> yeah, pretty likely. Anyways. I, do, I feel like um, the elemental uh, design, the concept of it is just this kind of... Um, lingering thing that i never like like we never really tackled that you know yeah the the damage modifiers they exist in a wizard's lizard but they're buried you you don't know they're there right and they're kind of arbitrary there's no messaging around it you know i want to make a game where it's like look there's you know fire ice and you know nature or something right and they form this perfect rock paper scissors triangle one is strong against the other strong against the other right and like the blue stuff is blue the nature stuff is green. The fire stuff is red. That's it. You know, like simple, clear, and then an obvious need for everyone in the triangle, you know, mm-hmm. something clean and simple. And then from there, just be like, okay, it's, you know, maybe it's an overhead action game and you're walking around and it's just like an attack button or maybe it's a twin six shooter or something, but like no mechanics, 
none like moving moving and firing and the rest is all about you know the the elemental uh you know rock paper scissors type stuff i found that like when we were doing um a wizard's lizard right and like one of the problems with the twin stick shooter and elemental based stuff is that you tend to have like one weapon at a time or something right Mm -hmm. like the elemental stuff is really about it's like a strategy component right it's like do you know these systems and do you know what is good against, you know, X? Yeah. And are you prepared for that? Right. And I feel like it's harder in those kinds of games, right? Because what ended up happening, you know, inevitably in a wizard's lizard, right. And and maybe we could have designed this differently, but when you only have like one weapon at a time and you can only choose like one resistance at a time, perhaps, right. Like you have a ring that's immune to fire and you have a ring that's immune to ice and you can't have both perhaps. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, you get in these situations where you have to just make some kind of a judgment call <clears throat> and you have like a 50% chance of being wrong, right? Or or more maybe, right? If they're, depending on how many elementals there are. Yeah. Um, and so I think that it doesn't really add too much interesting strategy to the game, especially like in a kind of run and gun style. Hmm. Like I think that's why we never really took it that far within a wizard's lizard and stuff is because it just doesn't, doesn't seem to fit that well, right? <laughs> With a wizard's lizard, it was hard to plan ahead because everything's randomly generated, right? So right. I guess once in a while there'd be a scenario like, oh, if you're in the cemetery and you know that the sewer is next and you see that there's a, you know, an anti-venom ring, it uh, you know, protects you from poison, you see that's available, maybe go for it. Because the sewer is one of the few levels that actually has a theme and it's very poison-centric, right? Right. But other than that, you know, oh, do you want anti-fire? And you're like, maybe. <laughs> you, you don't know what's coming. Whereas, you know, let's say... Uh, a game with static content, right? Like Zelda, for example. You might know, I am going to the Fire Palace. It might, you know, behoove me to get some anti-fire or something, right? Right, yeah. A little more of that in that game. So that's, a, you know, that's kind of where our head has been at with some of that stuff too, right? Like we could have designed a Wizard's Lizard where there was like an optional fire dungeon, right? Or maybe yeah. mandatory or something. I, th- I think it's just, the problem is, is that adding it to the game means we have to start designing around it, right? Yeah. Like because you want to highlight it as like an important part of the game that's interesting and fun. And, you know, you have to account for the fact that, you know, it could cause problems, right? Like right. almost any design feature you add can hurt the game, right? Has not, repercussions that yeah. uh no one may not know about yet, right? Like hidden hidden problems that will be revealed later. Right. It's like sort of like the Owl Slayer, right? Like <clears throat> it's not a, a terrible weapon in and of itself, but like it has very limited use and it's almost never the right choice to sacrifice global damage, like good global damage for good specific to Owl's damage and weak yeah. against everything else, right? Like that's that's not a good trade-off. No, that's that's a lousy piece of content right there. <laughs> it smacks of desperate for more items. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, it's not like a terrible idea, you know. It's just like it, that is is basically a resistance system, right? And um yeah. I don't know. It's it's hard. Like I never I never thought that 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 kind of stuff felt great in AWL. Yeah, I agree. Um one thing I think that is sort of interesting about Pokémon and and other systems like it, right, for this kind of a thing is that there's a lot of mixing and matching that goes on, right? Mm-hmm. And you have a lot of different unit types. So, for example, like let's say you have ten elemental classes, right? Yep. 
Um, and every creature or, or unit can have three, let's say three powers, three abilities. That That's four different things like that can all have a different one of those 10 combinations, right? You could have a magic creature who receives, you know, damage uh, modified by their magic property, um, but it has perhaps fire abilities or a fire ability, an ice ability, and a lightning ability, right? Right. Depending on how you train it. So um, <clears throat> I think those are a little more interesting because then you have more opportunity to deal with, uh, you know, essentially the unknown, right? Or Or to have that kind of strategic advantage where you're like, okay, this is a, you know, this is a water thing that does earth damage. So I want to get my creature that takes less earth damage, but its abilities do more to whatever, right? Yeah. Uh, which is a little more interesting, right? And, and, and easier to kind of digest in more of a turn-based setting than a, oh my God, shoot, dodge projectiles <laughs> all over the place kind of setting. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I forget what the game was called, but there was this shooter I'm sure someone listening will, will remember, but it's like an overhead uh, space shooter, and the mechanics are really simple. You move around, you can fire your gun, and then the other mechanic is you can change your color. I think it's just between like white and red, yeah, or maybe black and red or something. But it's basically you know like uh, it determines your collision. So there might be, let's say, there's like a you know it's a bullet hell, right? So there's a swarm of bullets coming at you, and let's say there's like lines of black and white or red and blue or whatever the hell they are, the two colors, right? Right. To get through that. Like those bullets, you would need to be toggling back and forth, almost like a rhythm game to right. time it out. And see, like that is a great uh, harmonization of that mechanic, right? It takes the mechanic yeah. and it strips it down to like the bare essence and like doesn't tie it to like gear or weapons. Like it doesn't tie it to like any kind of permanent choice, right? It's just, yeah, you can switch between white and blue anytime you want or white and black anytime you want. Yeah. Um, because like you can't like you know in a bullet hell type of game there's no there's no time to think about okay you know black is good against green <laughs> yeah but no, oh I'm dead no there there is an upper limit to that that's for sure yeah especially when you get into like oh it was chartreuse I died because it was <laughs> the wrong shade right right like you would not want to get into like the subtlety between colors. Something, I bet the uh, the limit is, is something very low, like five. You know what I mean? For be, like a, a bullet hell game, yeah. Yeah, for, I mean, you know, the different people, they sure. would have higher skill caps and whatnot, but it would definitely be a very low number that people would be able to handle. And I think that it's really smart to just have it with two, like on and off. Because you're already handling moving and you're handling attacking. You know, your position relative to everything else going on in the screen matters. And then you've also got this freaking thing you got to toggle. Like, that's... That's already plenty. You're juggling like five balls and one of them's a chainsaw. You know, like that's a <laughs> yeah. lot. You're good. Um, that's a really interesting way to scale the difficulty though, right? Like basically take that game and make it two colors, right? Black and, and white or whatever. And like that's the normal game. And then once you beat the normal game, now there's three colors. Oh, man. Right? Now you, you beat three <laughs> colors. Now there's four colors. Oh, that's smart. <clears throat> and then like, you know, that's, that sounds really, uh, I, I bet some people would be really into the challenge. Not yeah. me, of course, but some people. <laughs> Jeff is never up to the challenge. <laughs> you you give up immediately. Yes, I, I can't even I like. Can I'm not. It. I'm not good at that game with the two colors, honestly. Yeah, I'm not good at uh, space shooters. They're hard. I like used to hell games. Not really. I used to think I had good reaction time, but maybe I don't. Maybe, <laughs> maybe that's the thing. I feel like I'm okay at a wizard's lizard, but it's kind of slow. I, 
Yeah, it's a little slow for a, uh, you know, it has some bullet hell elements, but it's more of just like a, you know, twin stick shooter than a pure bullet hell. Yeah. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not great at that kind of game normally. Pretty fun though. I love just seeing stuff, you know, crazy crap flying around the screen. How can you go wrong? And I love it too that like, you know, a lot of games have stuff flying around, but you know, especially in, I want to say like AAA games, a lot of it's just particles, you know? There's always something moving, but it's a lot of it's just visual. And in Bullet Hell, that's what's so cool. There's stuff moving all over the screen, and each of like every single individual unit or entity or whatever you want to call it has a game meaning, you know? Like it's going to hurt you or it's going to blow up or something. Right. Pay attention. Oh, man. You know what games I'm terrible at? All games? No. Yes. Well. Blizzard games? Mostly. <laughs> man, you opened yourself right <laughs> wide open for that one. Uh, what do you got? What do you got? Rhythm games. Oh, you yeah, mentioned like Guitar Hero or something, and I was like, yeah. about to go cry in the corner because, <laughs> like, <clears throat> I can't even I can't even do most of those games on the easy, like the slow setting. <laughs> oh wow, yeah, easy is always really easy. Medium, like I can actually rock it really well as long as it doesn't go to that fifth key, right? So yeah. like, if I can have my four fingers on four keys and I never have to move my fingers, I can just hit the button when I see it. I do very well. But uh, then you throw that fifth one in there, especially when you, you need to be moving your hands up and down. Yeah, no. Oh, no, I'm I'm done. Didn't you play guitar, though? <laughs> Could you say that more condescendingly? <laughs> didn't didn't you play guitar, Matt? Yeah, like, come Psh, on. You should, this should be like second should, nature You should be good at this. <clears throat> yes, it is, a, it is a, an identical skill. Identical. I, <laughs> identical. Well, it's... I not- was never... Uh, <laughs> Honestly, I was never that great at guitar either. I, I yeah. could play rhythm decently, but when you got to lead, which was a closer analog to having to move your stupid hand around and you know get your pinky to reach that far key and stuff, yeah, that's the same kind of thing as playing lead guitar. And I was never great. I could play some crappy solos, but I don't know. I never really got very good at guitar. I always did better with the drums and rock band. Drums are fun. It's just fun to hit stuff with sticks. That's all there is, man. <laughs> That's true. Screw the, screw the rest. You don't even need the game. You just, here's here's this drum set, and here's some sticks. And you're like, great. You just... Boom, 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 boom. No, it is really fun, though. Yeah. With the drums. That's probably my favorite way to play. You know, uh, I'm going to switch topics on here because... <laughs> reasons. Look at this smooth segue. Yeah. Silky smooth. You were talking about uh, turn-based games earlier, and that actually, like... It sounds kind of interesting, right? Like... Um, something that I thought about recently was like uh, a traditional roguelike. You know what? You? Yes. <laughs> but what's your twist? I know you got a you got a Blair twist coming up. No, no Blair twists. Just, just a traditional roguelike. Well, you know, as a base, just or you know, not as a base, but like uh, that kind of thematic, right? To keep it simple and easy, right? Like, right. Here's a dungeon, and like I can add. It's kind of like the games that I am really interested in is something like Door Fortress, right? Mm-hmm. uh as a creator like that's that's the kind of game i would have loved to have created um and like it proves that you don't need a lot of fancy graphics and sometimes it just gets in the way right like yeah uh how much content can you pump out if it's like this tree is a green at symbol and this river is a blue you know tilde or whatever that's what I was alluding to earlier. I yeah. mean you could you could make dwarf fortress man there's there's nothing there that you couldn't do Besides all of it. <laughs> <laughs> I believe in you. Yes. Well, really, you know, having the, having the, you know, cognitive ability to sit down and design all these systems in a way that's fun and entertaining, right? Like anybody can sit down and just throw together some like random rules that 
make up a world, right? But whether or not it's fun, you know, is, is a completely different story. And like mm. a lot of those algorithms are like tough to write, man. Like, I mean, I've written a decent amount of proc gen code for things like a wizard's lizard and stuff. And I still feel like, you know, that code is always difficult to write, you know? Yeah. And it always takes a long time, longer than it would take to make some static maps, obviously. But, but yeah, it's like, uh, it's, it's a lot of work. And, um, and, and to get the content to feel natural and interesting and varied, right? It is very difficult. Mm -hmm. You know, something that they do like in Minecraft and in, and in games like Doran Fortress, right? Is that they kind of simulate the world growing over time. Yeah. Right. it's like, you start with this kind (laughs) of, these biomes, right? And then the biomes kind of diversify or whatever. It's so easy, Jeff. You just say biome dot (laughs) diversify. You just fire that off. It's easy. Yeah. It's easy. (laughs) That is a, that's a hard thing. Go go make a biome. Go have it grow over time. Ooh. I was thinking something like, you know, it's it's kind of like a roguelike style graphics, but it's more of like a Zelda type of gameplay, right? Hmm. Where you get like a procedurally generated world, right? Uh, that you can move around in and it's just kind of ASCII based or like maybe just like really simple pixel art even, right? If you want to get fancy. Um, <laughs> right, but you really focus on like the entities uh, in the world and like the vastness. Like, there's a lot of places that you can, like, you know, really exercise the proc gen. Right, like, it, it it's always never felt great to me that like with a wizard's lizard, right? We have this proc gen capability, but the proc gen is like not good enough to the point where we feel comfortable generating, you know, tons and tons of levels with it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like we feel like, oh, you've played, you know, 10 minutes of the sewer. Like, well, that's more than enough, right? <laughs> You're good now. You're good. Like you don't want to be playing the sewer anymore. So, um, yeah. and, and part of that, right, is not just the level layout, right? Like the, it's the fact that there's only a handful of monsters and a handful of items and like all that stuff kind of works together. Yeah. Um, and it's also like a fairly rigid design, right? It's like, um, you know, here's a room and you have to kill the bad guys and, you know, these weapons do more damage than these other weapons or they have a spread or whatever, right? Like, uh, it's not very deep, right? Hmm. It's more like, you know, at any given time you're given a choice and, and the choice, uh, is usually fairly obvious, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and sometimes it, it even comes down to like, I just like this weapon over the other one, right? Like they both do decent damage, but I like the one that fires faster because it feels better. And right. And so like you as a person are just never going to take the other weapon, even when it's available to you. Hmm. Like those are the kind of traps that we fell into with that. Right. And like, yeah. Um, I would really like to, you know, like it's kind of like the shenanigans thing, right? Like have a game where, you know, we can have a whole bunch of different entities that interact in different ways. Um, you know, they have a bunch of different properties but keeping the visuals simple so that it doesn't become an overwhelming slog of a project, right? And it's like right. easy to add content, right? Like, oh, I added a new, uh, you know, it's a Q. <laughs> it's a Q ASCII character <laughs> and it does, you know, all these different things or, you know, yeah. it interacts with stuff in a different way. That Done. whole uh, content is king thing, right? <clears throat> yeah. I think that never really uh, sank home to us. And I look at stuff like, you know, Terraria sometimes where like it's practically infinite content, you know, and like it doesn't have to have the best visuals ever. And, you know, okay, Dwarf Fortress, great example again, you know. Um, I had actually when you were talking, I had this memory, pretty vivid, of one of my first QBasic games. And I remember the first time I had made something that looks basically like the original Rogue. I had a face moving around the screen 
and you could even attack and it would draw uh, a character. Like if you were attacking to the left or to the right, it would just be a little dash. And if you're talk- attacking up or down, it would be like that pipe, right? Yeah. And you could attack up, down, left, right, and you could walk up to enemies and you could hit them and they would t- like, oh my God, they took like five damage. That was amazing. amazing. They attacked me back. I remember that. You know, I've got vivid memories of these stupid little ASCII, you know, symbols moving around, but it was enough. You know, I was so happy with it. And I'm not saying that like, you know, people are going to go crazy for a game that looks like that, but there's a lot to be said for, you know, I could just crank out, even as just like a, you know, 12 year old or whatever, I could crank out, like I made three new monsters in like five minutes you know right. and that is actual real content you can actually interact with them and they're different they have different properties they look different different colors different symbols it checks a lot of boxes you know like they don't have to have all these polygons and stuff like it depends on um what type of game it is you know yeah um i thought it was really interesting have you heard of this jupiter hell kickstarter yeah yeah so it's like a successor to doom the roguelike uh which i actually downloaded and installed the other day because of all this stuff right oh good because it's going to be shut down any minute right yeah um it's pretty fun yeah like it's a it's a pretty fun little spin on roguelikes um and art was done by Derek Yu from spelunky yep yeah pretty cool sure. um, that doom the doom skin is especially like the classic doom the new modern stuff is cool but it's it's kind of it's got that you know everything's gray and everything, it just looks very typical AAA to me, you know? You go back to the classic Doom, Doom 2, you've got the the dudes in the green suits. Looks so iconic with the masks. Uh, every single individual monster is so memorable and just oozes personality, you know? And because of that, going from first-person shooter Doom to the roguelike Doom, it, it's, a, it's a great fit. You know, you've got cacodemons, you've got zombies, you've got imps. Uh, it just works. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, one thing that I was interested in though is that i think that for the new for the new version jupiter hell um they mentioned that you can actually play the game in ascii mode still like you know (laughs) it's it's at its heart just a a very core roguelike game and like you could play it in ascii mode or you could play it in the fancy 3d mode like that's cool so there was this game um back when my buddy brett I'll put a link to the show notes in Laser Time. He now for full time. He does uh, podcasts and shows and stuff for Laser Time. At the time, though, he was at uh, Games Radar, and he wanted me to do a review for a DS game called Darkspire, which had that going on. It's a first-person, like dungeon-crawling role-playing game, right? Like the Bard's Tale or Eye of the Beholder or something like that. And <clears throat> it's got you know it's just modernized. It looks it's very uh, stylist. Uh, stylistic it looks cool it's it looks like cell shading a little bit but it's all hand drawn it looks cool there's a mode where you can pick like classic mode and the song changes changes to uh the music changes to chiptunes the you know monster sprites are now like you know pixelated and uh it's it's very retro it's super cool um i'll put a link to that review as the only professional review i already i ever wrote and i remember agonizing between an eight and a six because i loved that the game did that i thought that was such a cool feature it appeals to like people like me exactly you know because I, I have so much nostalgia and i just love that that's a simple tweak you know you just change your variable and all of a sudden i mean you know, got double all your assets and stuff for it sucks for the developers but like what a cool thing especially in a grindy game for a player you know you could be playing grinding for an hour and you're like i'm gonna swap it up i'm gonna go retro now play that for an hour you know yeah but i ended up giving it like a six or something like a not that great of a review because my main complaint was that like the game touted being very retro right that's why it had the retro mode 
But the problem was the gameplay was also very retro, and it reminded me specifically of Bard's Tale, where, like, you know, you're walking around this town, you turn a corner, and then here's 12 thieves, and you can't run three turns in a row, and you're all dead. <laughs> and, and Or, like, okay, where am I on the map? Well, you have to cast a spell called Look, and that costs three mana, and mana's really, you know, <laughs> scarce, so you gotta go back to town and go back to the end all the time. And, like, the modern version is I want to look at a damn map. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So anyway, that was my the reason I, I dinged it was because, like, the fact that you can toggle back and forth between modern and classic just kind of emphasized to me that all of the design decisions were classic. And honestly, they're jerky. Like, I don't want to go back and play the original Dragon Warrior because it's way too grindy. I don't, don't want to go back and play the original Metroid because it was designed to sell strategy guides. I will go play the updated versions of those games. There's a way nicer, less grindy Dragon Warrior version on Game Boy Color. I played the hell out of it. I might do it again. There's also an updated version of what, Zero Mission Metroid. It's the original game, but like all redone, nowhere near as pain in the ass, you know? Yeah. Like, I, with the modern look and the modern graphics, I wanted modern gameplay. Anyway. I turned into a rant. I was just going to point out that (laughs) I I love the Jupiter Hill. That sounds cool. Yeah. Toggling between, you know, sprites and ASCII is super cool. Yeah. That is pretty cool. Um, I really like the idea of, like you were saying, like text adventures, right? I actually hadn't really ever thought about making a text adventure myself because. You should. um, Yeah. Like I played a bunch of those back on the Commodore 64. um, Nice. When I was growing up. Um, I think, though, that like I would like to maybe pair the roguelike with the text adventure to some extent, you know, Mm. like, I don't think I like the pure text, you know, like, uh, I enjoy some visuals of some kind, right? Like you enter a room. Yeah. There's an exit to your North and to your East. Exactly. There's stuff here. Maybe I'd rather walk to the exit, right? Like I'd I'd rather (laughs) press up like six times and go to the exit than type, you know, go North or something. Yeah, I told you about Mume. I'm sure I've talked about Mume on the podcast. It's multi-user Middle Earth. It's what I did uh, when I was like, I don't know, 15-ish instead of How to Life. I would just play this game online. It was like World of Warcraft, but picture-only text-based. So like a chat yeah. room World of Warcraft in the Middle Earth world. So kind of cool. I had friends playing it. It was really addictive. Um, there was also player versus player killing. Ooh. Uh, but there's a map Ooh. you could pull up. And like, yeah, man, I would have much rather have just, because it was an ASCII map, you know? Yeah. But I would much rather have just wandered around that ASCII map than, you know, north, 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 east, 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 and, like, stuff's happening, you're dying, you're running right past your objective, it's, like, it's confusing. It's, like, a little too disconnected, right, for that kind of a game, I think. It it doesn't work in a lot of ways, especially, like, the, the PvP was just garbage. Just a, ju- like, <laughs> the moment PvP combat started happening, it was just, like, you're trying to read the world's fastest book ever, and you're lucky if you can figure out what in the hell's going on, to be perfectly honest, you know? <laughs> Whereas, like, in World of Warcraft, you can really see, like, oh, I know, I saw that dude. He walked up with his axe, and he stuck his axe in my face. Right. I saw that happen. I had <laughs> I had some time to react instead of just text flying by. I don't know. Yeah, like, blam, 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 you're dead. What? Pretty much, yeah. That was a common, common thing. I'm surprised I played that game as long as I did. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's because uh, early on in our careers, we were working together, and I don't know if it was Lava Blade or something else, but you were making a game entirely in the console, which I thought was really novel and kind of cool. Because you would just, like, give console commands. You would say, like, you know, a unit.attack or something, right? And it would do the math, and it would give you back the results. And, you know, you had a functioning game there. You had a playable game, and it felt to me like this, you know, cool little hack because it's it's in the console, and you didn't have to, you know, waste your time setting up graphics and making, like, a, you know, 
like a tile set and all this crap because you you got straight to the gameplay and you can answer the game design questions before wasting your time on other stuff. Yeah, maybe I should get back to that kind of stuff because like that that method of development actually works really well for me. Um, I uh, recently part of my contract gig, uh, I worked on a word game that should not be named. It's a clone of a very popular word game. That's a terrible name for a word game. The <laughs> yes. word game that should not be named. <laughs> um, but like I did the same thing, right? Like I just, I wrote all the game logic um, with just like this, this invisible object with methods, right? Yeah. And then I just had like this little menu, right? You had like a little pull down menu where it was like, you know, here's 10 different options that you can do to like, uh, basically play the game like you could play the game through a menu instead of you know seeing pieces on the board or whatever right um and that actually worked out really well like i got the entire game logic done in just like a week and a half or two weeks almost mm. uh, like done and done and then spent the rest of the time just working on the graphics you know we, we talked a lot rather. yeah uh, we talked a lot before about like, you know, wasting time, like a good thing. We didn't buy a bunch of art for stuff. Cause we would have ended up on the cutting room floor along with a lot of money, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that just not worrying about that stuff is, uh, really empowering. It to is move forward yeah. quick. I like it. I'm really, I, I, I'm really liking this idea of like a, uh, an ASCII based <laughs> turn-based tactics game or something. Yeah. And here's the thing too, when you're working on something, <laughs> you're like eating your mic, <laughs> when, you, when you're working on that, um, you know, you're working on it and the game design is coming around and you're having fun, you're interacting with it. It's totally playable and functional and usable, right? It's only uphill from there. You could make a totally playable experience and start having a really good time and polish it later. Graphics could always come later, you know, yeah, or, or never. But that's the cool thing about it is there's nothing like impeding your progress. I wonder if that's how the Dwarf Fortress stuff started, right? I wonder if they had like this thought in their mind where they were like, oh, yeah, like, you know, we'll kind of prototype out these systems and we'll get this like crazy world happening and then we'll, we'll go back. It. Yeah. And then we'll like add a bunch of graphics. And then maybe they got enough popularity where they were like, no, this is enough, man. Like, who cares about the graphics? Let's just keep making cool interactions. You and I were talking about, uh, is it pronounced Nidhog? So, yes. yeah, I, I think, think so. you, you know where I'm going to go with this. Nidhogg is like an award-winning, um, like a fencing game. And it looks like uh, Atari 2600 games to me. But it's very responsive. It's very tight. It's uh, got really good controls. There's a lot of uh, nuance in what you can do because you can like throw your swords and you can parry and charge and all this crap. Really excellent game. It was a clear, like just runaway success. Uh, received very well um, by the gaming community. Really no problems with it, right? So they're making a Nidhogg 2, which makes a lot of sense because it was a really excellent game and players loved it. Nidhogg 2 looks like it plays the same, but they basically went like, I don't know, HD with the graphics. Whereas, you know, before it was in a different decade for sure. Now it's got kind of a modern look. I mean, it could have been made any time in the last couple of decades, but it's, you know, like hand-drawn uh sprites right and right. i i think to both you and i'm gonna put words in your mouth here but feels like a misstep i mean you know i'm not here we go trying to judge the work from far superior developers but here, here's where i like here's where i'm coming from is there was nothing wrong with the original and like one thing i liked about the original was that because it's so pixelated you can kind of fill in the gaps yourself you know like are you a swashbuckler is it me there you know like are these even humans i, I don't know it, it's kind of fun and whimsical right and with Nidhogg 2, mm -hmm. it's it's really stylized and it's got this kind of um 
I would almost call it like a like a Nickelodeon cartoon style. Is that is that fair? They look like demented Muppets. Yeah, demented Muppets. Which, if it does it for you, that's great. You're gonna love Nidhogg too. You know, doesn't really <laughs> do it for me. They look kind of. I don't know. It's just, you know, style is a hard thing, right? It doesn't particularly float my boat. And I, I think that my overall complaint, though, because I recognize it's even if it's just not my thing, it might be a lot of other people's thing. My main complaint, though, is I think that it, it fills in the blanks a little too much with the game previously that was uh, it allowed your imagination to go wild a little bit, you know, with like psychedelic backgrounds in some scenarios and stuff. With lo- graphics yeah. now being so literal, I feel like it um, it might take away from what some people were filling in those blanks with themselves you know what i mean and then what's now there explicitly defined in the game might not satisfy them as much as what was in their heads here's yeah, me thinking true. way too much into this <laughs> i don't know well there's something there right you know like it, it's kind of the same idea about you know how many people prefer books to movies yeah right? yeah exactly because it's like you know i think one concrete example for me was jurassic park you know i read that book when it came out because it was you know insanely popular and it was a really good book and I really enjoyed yeah. it, right? And then like, you know, I saw the movie later and it was like, these characters don't look anything <laughs> like they're supposed to. Like, what? who yeah. are these people? I was not picturing um, Sam Neill. What is Jeff Goldblum yeah, doing here? Not. This is not right. <laughs> <laughs> this is not right. Yeah. Uh, you're destroying my Oh, world. I had that with uh, Dune. Mm. And there's been a couple different... Um, Man, there was a made-for-TV, I want to say it was on Sci-Fi, or was it Siffy? I don't even know anymore. There was some made-for-TV Dune movie, and, like, um, Paul. Boy, did they just... No. <laughs> no with the casting of Paul. Not at all what I pictured. Yeah. It's hard, right? I think that one of the biggest dilemmas there, right, is that they want to cast, like, recognizable people mm-hmm. as these, like, popular characters. But the problem is, is that, you know, all these popular actors, like, they have their own, like, they're well-known. Their faces are well-known, you know? Like, there's this dissonance, right, where you're like, who merged this book character with, you know, Brad Hey, that's Pitt just Matt like, Damon. Just, yeah, Why is Matt, Matt Damon, Damon here? In the costume. <laughs> <laughs> who yes. let Matt Damon in? Like, it's kind of like uh, Harry Potter, right? That kid was a great Harry Potter because he had been in nothing else ever. Yeah. Right? right like uh and now you know anything that he's in you're like oh it's it's harry potter <laughs> right no no matter what role he's playing or what movie he's in and uh, you know not to knock his acting ability right i'm sure he's a he's a very good actor or whatever but like you just can't help but think that right like in your mind you know that synapse is firing yeah. like the association is uh unbreakable uh it's daniel yeah. radcliffe and i think he's done a good job as far as anyone could to get away from a role that's iconic because, like, what do you do? His exactly, first yeah, role, right. like, on Broadway, you got naked with a horse, I think. Well, Equ- Equitarian. Well, you got to do something, <laughs> right? <laughs> His parents are like, oh, what's your next role? Are you getting naked on Broadway? He's like, well, you got to do something. What are you going to do after Harry Potter? How do you follow Harry Potter? Right. You get naked on Broadway. Yeah. And with there's a horse. a horse there as well. I'm not really sure what the horse has to do with anything, but... <laughs> I don't either. I would imagine... I, I'm just guessing, because I haven't seen it. I would imagine... The horse is a plot point. Just guessing. <laughs> very, very astute, Matt. <laughs> I don't know what we're talking about anymore. It's been about an hour, though. Yeah, that's, that's a good. That's hour. a good podcast. I hope. Yes, it's a good ramble game design. Can cast. we all agree that last week's episode was was pretty garbage? It was. It was not great. It, I don't it? know. I I think when we were done, you were like, I felt like I wasn't good. Well, you know, <laughs> it's uh, 
when you podcast every single week, right? Like there are ebbs and flows, right? Yeah. There are times where we're just like, oh man, we have all the things to say <laughs> in the world, you know? And then there are other weeks where we're just like, life is kicking my Whoa. ass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, kicking my coin. Oh, ass is fine. You can say ass. I don't okay, think I'll no, get that many emails about ass, but other words I might. Well, now that you've mentioned it six <laughs> times, you might. Yeah, there's, there should be a cap. <laughs> we we hit our ass quota. That's right. Uh, Lost cast, folks. Game design. That's it. Thanks for listening. Thank you for your support of Indie Game Sim. I know that it is mostly you listening that has come out and bought the game. There's some really touching reviews. Uh, I'll talk about those more in the future. Um, a lot of people have been sending me their games, and uh, I got to catch up with that backlog. I hope to make some more YouTube videos. I'll put a link to the YouTube video I made where I'm playing your games made uh, Indie Game Sim. Also, Game Dev Treasure, I posted two new articles, I think is uh i don't know a couple more how to tell when you gave artists too much control over design i've talked about that in the podcast before for sure also learning from the masters level design in legend of zelda oh, can't miss it it's so such so treasure game dev tre- oh here we go look at that show notes that's it i don't know what i'm playing you out with but thanks for your ears and uh thanks for listening ship <laughs> it yeah doing the like mic in hand thing today oh yeah should be a very vocal jeff i don't know maybe i should maybe I should like pace around the room like i'm giving a presentation or something you should
do a little song, a little dance. Not that we'll see the dancing. No, but you can imagine in your head. I'm sure it's <laughs> glorious. <laughs> it's pretty great. It's probably better in our heads, let's be honest. <laughs>